During the week before Easter, I was working out at the gym. It was a lunchtime after my workout. I knew I needed to get back to the church for some meetings, do some work. But I looked over to the left, and there before me was CVS. The power of temptation was so strong because I knew inside that store was the yellow candy of the Reese's peanut butter egg. Come on, somebody. Now... Why would that temptation be so strong? I mean, I'm trying to model and lead our team into eating healthy and working out. You see, the the big compromise, the big temptation, I I, I didn't want to wreck my health in one moment. What led to that moment was a series of small compromises. You see, in my office is a candy jar. Not for me. It is for the children. Now, I know some of you don't believe me, but it's true. My dad has started a great tradition when he was a pastor and kids would come to his office and he'd let them have candy. And so the staff kids, every Tuesday and Thursday, they come in the office. There's lots of them. And they get to pick out of the jar. And for months, it was just for them. And the kids would always get like the ring pops and the suckers. And then the poor chocolate was always left by itself. And so after a couple of months, I looked in while they were eating and I noticed that down there in the bottom was a little miniature Reese's peanut butter cup that was just alone, neglected, forgotten. So I'd like to say it was because of me not wanting this this little guy to be alone. I just decided to eat just one, just one. That's how it always begins, isn't it? Just one. And so I ate one and no harm, no foul. It was all good. Well, a couple of days later, the kids came back in again. They got their candy, and this time I thought, you know what? One little peanut butter cup is not the same as the big one. It's going to take at least two or three to equal just one, right? So I ate just two or three. And then the next day, uh, I'm working, and no kids, but I was like, man, I've got I've to write a sermon. I need a little sugar bump. Surely a little Reese's peanut butter cup is going to help me. And so I ate three. You see what happens? By the time it was over, there was no more Reese's peanut butter cups. And, and, and here's the reality. It's like, it starts with one. It starts with what we hunger, right? Oscar Wilde said this, I can resist anything except for temptation. How many of you have ever been there? Like in this world, we will have temptation as part of this world. How you deal with temptation speaks a lot about who you are. It speaks a lot about your maturity in Christ or the lack thereof. The reason why some of you are struggling with temptation is because the enemy has the advantage. And today you're going to discover from God's word because this time that advantage is tipped in your direction. If the enemy can deceive you, if he can keep you as a slave to sin, if he can keep you from succumbing and submitting to temptation, he'll do it because he wants you to be ignorant of what the word of God says. He doesn't want you to see the value of God's word, the value of abiding with the Lord. But the word of God is a double-edged sword, and it can be a weapon that you can use to overcome temptation. And I desire for you to become strong in the Lord, to be men and women who don't get just like tossed around and and struggling with temptation, but the advantage is going to be tipped in your direction. Amen? And so let's turn to the word of God, Matthew chapter 4. All three synoptic gospel writers record this iconic story of Jesus and the temptations. He's in the wilderness. It's right after his baptism in water, right before his ministry assignment begins. And so it's a pivotal moment. He's in the wilderness. And Jesus, one of the purpose why he came to this earth is defeat the enemy. And so we can learn how to confront and overcome evil, overcome 
temptation by looking at the example of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now you may be tempted to look at this verse and go, why would God tempt someone? Now that's a valid question, but you have to be, we have to be really clear. God will never tempt anyone to sin. He allowed his son to be in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this, this word even tempted is, is not probably the best word. Some, your translation, another translation may say the word tested. It's the same Greek word that was used later in the Gospels when the religious leaders tried to come and test or trap Jesus. And so I just want to be very clear. God does not tempt anyone to do evil, but he allowed this to be a time of testing, just like he allows testings in your life. Why does he allow trials and testings? Well, sometimes he wants to see what's in our heart. He wants to see if we're ready, if our character is ready for more responsibility. And so Jesus was in the wilderness. He's being tempted. And, and how is he being tempted? All right, we can continue reading. It says that now when the tempter came to, to him, he said, if, someone say if, you are the son of God. So the first temptation, which, by the way, temptation, I know it takes on many forms, but for us to have a, a common understanding, temptation is the enticement to do evil. It's a strong desire to do anything that's contrary to the will of God, word of God, or character of God. And so the enemy comes to Jesus, and the first thing out of his mouth was, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. He attacks the identity of Jesus. Because remember, what just happened before this time of praying and fasting in the wilderness? It was the baptism of water, right? And that was the moment where God the Father with an audible son said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And remember, Jesus didn't do any miracles yet. No teachings. And God says, you're my son. And I am well pleased in who you are and who I say you are. It wasn't about what he did yet. And so the first thing the enemy does is try to get a, a wedge in his relationship between God the Father and God the Son. He'll do the same thing with you. He will attack your identity because he wants to drive a wedge in your relationship between you and God. He'll attack, uh, he'll, he, he'll bring temptation and attack to bring separation between you and your spiritual family, your brothers and sisters. That's why he works through division, through temptation. And he's doing that with Jesus. The, the reality is that our identity comes from the Lord, right? That's his foundation to your faith that you must understand. If you like scripture in the gospel of John, it says, for everyone who has received him, he gives the right to be called children of God. If we surrendered our life to Jesus, if we've repented of our sin and turned to God, then we become a child of God, son or daughter of God. So our identity is not wrapped up in what we do. It's not as a mom or a dad, a doctor, a firefighter or even spiritually as a small group leader, you need to understand you are who God says you are. You are a son or daughter of God. The enemy will over and over try to lie and bring doubt into you, especially if, if you're struggling with temptation, right? He'll try to bring condemnation, guilt, and shame in your life and say, you might as well give up. You're no follower. You're no child of God. Look what you've done. He'll always try to bring up your past, always try to bring shame and guilt in your life. And that's why you have to silence the voice of the enemy. Jesus refers to the enemy as the father of lies. And so he'll try to put thoughts in your minds that are lies. And you'll try to, to believe, he'll try to bring them up over and over until you believe them. 
So he says, if you are the son of God. Now, how did he tempt Jesus first? He said, first, I, I command that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written. He's quoting from the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. This is either literally or in a vision, kind of think Frodo Baggins when he puts on the ring, all right? So he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if, there it is again, say if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So it's like if, if Jesus is quoting scripture, and there's a pattern that Jesus in the face of every temptation is quoting the word of God. The enemy knows the word of God. Now he's quoting it as well. So now it's like he's not disguised. There, there's no confusion of who the enemy is and who Jesus as the son of God is. So this is like a... This is a tense moment. This is a showdown, a, 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 like a fight, right? Like think Tombstone, Doc Holliday against Johnny Ringo. This is what's going on right here. And so he says, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. So he's changing tactics. This is the third temptation. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, the social structures, political kingdoms, country Countries, military kingdoms. You got to remember like the expectation of the people of the Jews is that they would have a king, that Messiah would come to help deliver them from the oppression of the Romans and that they would be the superpower of that day, that they would be rich like in the days of David. That was their expectation. So that would be the temptation that Jesus would have. But he came to establish a different kind of kingdom. So how does Jesus respond to this kingdom of the world in all of their glory he, Jesus again, said to him, all these things, or this is the devil still speaking to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. Now he's kind of quoting the Shema here. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that there is great power in your word. And I pray that it would come alive in our hearts, that our hope and our freedom is found in you, Jesus. And I know I've got friends here, brothers and sisters, who have been struggling and have almost resigned in their heart about giving up. And I pray, oh Lord, that they would have hope and faith in you and they would begin to put your word into practice. May we treasure and value you so much, Jesus, and your word. Help us by your spirit and by your grace to overcome temptation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So take out your notes, take out your journal. Let's look to the word of God and the model of Jesus for being a spiritual blueprint for us and how to overcome temptation because you will be tempted later today. You will be tempted tomorrow, right? And here's the reality. It's not always a peanut butter cup, right? It's the overindulgence in food or drink or prescription drugs. It could be lust, could be losing your temper, gossip, could be good things, right? It could be, man, it could be work, hobby, media, social media. What do you give too much time and attention to where you've kind of lost control? It's usually one or two things. 
And the Lord wants you to walk in victory. He doesn't want you to walk around defeated. He wants you to be spiritually strong. So how do you overcome temptation? First, we must understand temptation. We must understand temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Some of you think if that bad thought comes in your mind, instantly you're a bad person because you wouldn't have those bad thoughts. But the reality is Jesus, did he ever sin? No, he was faultless. He never sinned. He was fully God, and he was, but he was also fully man. Hebrews says that he faced all kinds of, of temptations as Jesus himself was tempted and yet he was without sin, Hebrews 4.15. But he faced temptation. He can say, me too. All right, some of you think, no, he doesn't understand. He does. But temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Is this biblical? Let's read James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life when the Lord has promised, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you love the Lord, if you're following after him, if you will endure, if you will not give up, and don't just resign to temptation. Don't be a slave to sin. Have a vision that one day you're going to stand before the Lord and that you were an overcomer. That greater was he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you were victorious from the victory of Christ. And he wants to give you this crown of life. Praise the Lord. And so he says that this is for those who promise that he loves them. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit, right? When it comes to temptation, we just blame the devil for everything. Sometimes it just comes from our own desire. Scripture says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn by his own desires and enticed. What are those fleshly desires? Well, 1 John is very clear that it's the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So here he's, he's not just talking to a bunch of sinners who don't know the Lord. He's like, James is like inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is burdened for his brothers and sisters who are struggling with temptation. And the word of God is alive for us as well. And some of you need to realize that temptation by itself is not sin. But the moment you're tempted, you have a choice. You can resist it, you can flee, you can quote the word of God, you can overcome that temptation, or you can give into it. How do you give into it? You start thinking about it, right? That thought becomes a desire. That thought becomes moves and it's conceived and it becomes lust. It becomes rage or anger. And that's when it's conceived and brings sin. And sin, once you've sinned, I mean, there still is hope. The Holy Spirit brings convi conviction. We are to confess that sin to the Lord, confess it to our brother or our sister, right? That, that we may have forgiveness and that we're not, we're not a slave to it. But if we've resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we harden our heart, then that sin, we become a slave to sin. And that results, Scripture says, in death. That is the will of the devil. That, that he starts with temptation or the temptation comes from your own flesh or eyes or spirit. And then it will move ultimately to death, separation from God, separation from others, ultimately, eternally, damnation in hell. That's the will of the enemy. And so that's why he's trying to tempt you to do anything that's contrary to the word of God. You need to understand that about temptation, that it goes against the will of God. But temptation by itself is not sin. It's what you do with sin. 
And some of you have been struggling with it. And deep down, there, there may be some root issues. And that, that root issue may be bitterness or, or hurt or pain or insecurity. And some of you are just trying to bring pleasure for a season because you don't trust the Lord. Or you're turning to other vices and it's, it's causing you to be a slave and it's trapping. And you need to tell somebody. You need to, yes, confess it a lot to the Lord. But you need to confess it to somebody in your small group. Not to everybody. I don't want to get on Facebook right now and share your secret sins, but you need to, like, somebody needs to know everything about you. Preferably someone that you could trust, a friend, a brother or sister in your small group. And if this is something that you continue to struggle with and the enemy's got his hook in you, this is why we believe and we're passionate about regeneration on Tuesday nights in ministry to help you overcome life-controlling strongholds and addictions in your life. But you listen, it, it, someone doesn't just become an alcoholic and just wake up one day saying, I want to wreck my marriage, I want to wreck my job. It, it starts with the temptation, that one, that one drink, right? It, it starts with that one temptation. So we've got to see how serious it is that sin is serious. And Jesus even teaches on it. He's saying, is it, if it's so serious, a sin, you need to cut it out. He's talking about like, treat it so seriously, otherwise your soul is going to be damned to hell. This is how serious it is. It would be better that you go into heaven with no phone or a phone with a bunch of deleted apps, then go to hell with a thousand Instagram followers and a web browser history full of lustful images. We need to start treating this very, very seriously. Giving into temptation hurts the heart of God. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth losing your reputation and, and who you represent and your name? Is it worth Think about your children, your spouse. Think about what God wants to do to you. Most importantly, your own soul. The Lord does not want your soul to be damaged or weary because of sin and because of giving in. Some of you are just, you feel like your life is being sucked out of you and you've been struggling with it. God wants you to be walking in victory and overcoming. You can, but you've got to understand how important it is to deal with temptation, what it's about. So first, understand temptation. When does temptation most commonly occur? Remember, when Jesus was in the wilderness, it happened when? After he fasted for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. So you can believe he was hungry, right? Some of you skip a meal and you feel like you're going to die if you don't have a taco. But Jesus was hungry. And this is when the enemy comes. You need to be aware. Like temptation, it'll happen. I like using the, the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Say them with me. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Any combination of these, you guys need to be like on your toes. Like these are the red flags. The blinking red lights on your dashboard are going off. You are most likely to be tempted and even give in to temptation if you are struggling with these. It happens when you're alone, when, when you think no one else is watching. That's when the compromise to integrity happens. That's when the compromise, the temptation occurs. But it's not just when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4 verse 13 records this story. And then he says the devil departed from there until an opportune time. The enemy will come back. He'll come back in different ways. How did he come back to tempt Jesus? He came back through his friend. Peter, remember when the great confession and, and shortly after Peter did not want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Jesus said he's going to have to die. He's going to raise from the dead. Peter didn't want it to go that way. And, and so how did Jesus respond to him? He said, depart 
for me who? Called him Satan, right? He's referencing this moment, this temptation, this temptation. And the enemy will try to do this. And oftentimes he will tempt you at the beginning of a faith step, of a faith step. When you surrender your life to Jesus, a newborn baby in Christ, the enemy is going to try to do his best to, to tempt you, to lure you back into sin. He's going to try. And here's the thing with sin. It's, wow, the enemy is really good about showing you the bait, but he hides the hook. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And he will do that. And the, and the enemy will try to trap you at, at, at key times in your life, at, at faith steps when you're a new believer in Christ. That's why Jesus shares the parable of the four soils. When the enemy, like a bird, comes and tries to take the seed away, or in the, the rocky, shallow ground, or even with the thorns, which are symbolic of the, the pleasures and the temptations of life. And then finally, the good soil. And this is why we as a church family and small groups are so important to help our, our new believers grow, to become devoted followers of Jesus, help them to grow into maturity, to, to abide with God, right? To, to feed that spiritual. Every single one of you, have a, have, have a, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in you. And everything that you do, everything that you give your time and attention either feeds that spiritual person or the flesh, the reason why some of you are losing is because you've been giving more of your time and attention to the flesh. So when the temptation is there, you're not strong enough to overcome it or avoid it. But if you start abiding and walking with the Lord, and you start praying and worshiping God, coming together on Sundays, coming together in your small group, and, and treasuring and valuing the Word of God and using it as a weapon, you will become victorious. But what are the other times that the enemy will try to tempt you? It'll happen at the beginning of faith steps, when you start tithing, when you start to come to a small group, when you start volunteering, when you, when you become a small group leader, when you be, man, say yes to the calling of being a missionary or joining a church planning team for a season. Like those are the times the enemy will try to discourage you. That's so why I'll never forget April 2007. I said yes to returning home here to San Antonio to, to start a new church but April was a hard month. I was attacked and I was tempted. I, I can remember when we sold, put up our house for sale, we, we said yes to an offer. But then the very next day, someone offered us thousands of dollars more than our asking price. And we were so tempted to say no to the first offer that we agreed under a contract to say yes to the second. We were, we were tempted. I, I remember getting sick with the flu during that month. I got my laptop crashed. I got a speeding ticket. That one was on me. But all these things were happening. I remember like going on a bike ride. It was the end of April, like a 60-mile ride, and I was tired and I was hungry. And I just parked my bike outside the restaurant. I went in. I sat at a table. I was all by myself. And I was waiting for my, my Dr. Pepper to come. And while I was waiting for this drink to come, a woman who in a very seductive way leaned over and asked me if I wanted to have companionship later that evening. Bold. I mean, that never happens to me, y'all. And the only response, I became very aware of what was happening. And all I could yell out was, I love my wife! And I ran out of that restaurant, and I got on my bike, and I took off. I mean, that's like, I felt like the devil at this point was just like, fuck. But I knew I just, at that moment, I needed to flee, right? Sometimes you find, the other time you just need to flee. And that's, it was like a Joseph, and I just like fleed. 
And, but thank God. Thank God for his mercy. Because here's the reality. The enemy didn't want this church to start in our community. And if the enemy could take me out in 2007 before it ever began, then that's what he's going to do. And so he's going to attack. He's going to tempt you and your character to compromise you through temptation. That's why we have to understand. We've got to know the scheme of the enemy. So first, understand temptation. Second, we've got to know the scheme of the enemy. Know how he tempts us. There's three areas Three areas that the enemy tempted Jesus, and they're parallel to 1 John. Again, remember, it's the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First, it was the flesh. How did he first tempt Jesus? He said, I mean, just turn these rocks to become bread. I know you're hungry. Like, that was the lie is God won't provide to meet your needs. So what is the lust of the flesh? How does the enemy try to tempt you? Usually it's one or two areas, right? What brings you pleasure for a moment? What, what do you, what's that guilty overindulgence? And, and you need to be aware of that. It's the, it's the flesh. The second is the spirit. The devil, devil quotes from Psalm 91. It's a poem of trusting the, de, the dependence, being dependent upon the Lord during difficult circumstances. And that's what he'll do to you. This is the the. The lust of the eyes, what you see. Jesus says the eyes are like the gateway to our soul, to our, to our spirit. And so there's two things that are happening in this moment. As he's on a very high place and he's, he's saying, hey, if you, if you jump, you're going to be okay. But he's saying the lie is you don't, you don't have to trust God. He won't protect you. He won't protect you. And he's appealing to his spirit here. And the enemy will try to get you to not trust in the Lord to put your trust in other things. Some of you are watching right now online and, and you're, you're still frightened, you're scared. We've gone through a hard year, the pandemic, and it's been a threat against you physically, maybe it's your loved ones or to your finances. And even though you're vaccinated, even though that you know maybe better sense might say, hey, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna, the enemy wants you to continue to live in fear and not make any difference for him in the kingdom of God. He wants to rob you of all your joy in life. He's going to say it's never the same. The, the fear that you had from the virus can transfer to a fear, to social anxiety. And the, the enemy wants to lie to you. And he wants to cloud your mind and bring confusion. And that's how he works. The third temptation was a temptation of power, influence, of purpose. He says, remember, if you just bow your knee towards me, I'll give you all the glory, everything that you want. And the lie is there's a better way for significance. This was the pride, the ambition. And Jesus was saying, hey, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. His mission was for atonement on the cross, that we might have salvation and be saved from our sins. The enemy is real. And we're not going to overcome. We need to understand temptation. We need to know how the enemy works. But we need to start fighting from victory. We need to fight with victory. But we need to know that Jesus was victorious. He overcame the devil. He overcame temptation. And our hope and our faith is that we can fight from the victory of Jesus. Amen. So how do we fight? We don't just run away all the times, although there's times that we need to flee. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality, right? But there's times that when temptation comes, we need to be able to face it head on and confront it. Jesus didn't just tuck tail and run. He said, it is written. Three times he used the word of God. He memorized the word of God. He hid it into his heart. And some of you just need to start 
Stop being an anemic, weak Christian and valuing and treasuring the word of God so you can be strong. You need to armor up. Like you're given a faith, a shield of faith, and you're given the sword, which is the word of God. And you need to use it. Use it to become mature and strong in the Lord. So what are the benefits? Why should you memorize scripture? There's a lot of benefits. You need to see the why. You need to see the value of this. First, you need to see how it's going to help you in your relationship with the Lord. When you treasure God's word and he sees you reading it, studying it, meditating, memorizing it, and not just not, not doing it sporadically or not when you come to church or small group. I'm talking daily. This is a, a daily discipline that you're just, you know, you can't start your day right unless you are in the word of God. The Lord wants you to, to pray the word of God. You will become strong and close to him. Second, when you're witnessing to other people. When you're ministering to other people and in conversations, if you've memorized the word of God, watch how often the Holy Spirit brings to your memory scriptures. There is power in the word of God for witnessing, for teaching, for modeling it, modeling it to your children. If you make the word of God and memorizing scripture a priority, you watch how your children will as well. They will follow your example. It's very important. Last fall, our staff team came to the conclusion that that we were asking people to do something that we have not done. See, it's the Gateway School of Ministry. Part of the requirement before you graduate is that you memorize about 119 verses. We never want to ask anybody to do something that we're not willing to do. So we made a commitment last fall, our entire staff team, to go on a journey to memorize all 119 of these verses. So we've been doing that. The team has been doing great. And we're growing strong in the Lord. And so this is something that we're seeing great value. As we were becoming strong, we were like, hey, we don't want to keep this secret to ourselves. We want to invite the rest of our church family into this challenge as well. So I want you to hear the power of Scripture and why it's so important from our team. Let's watch. The Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. As Christians, we uplift the importance of God's Word. We follow after Jesus. Jesus is constantly quoting the scriptures. He's constantly quoting the law and the prophets. We follow him and his example. Campbell. Yes. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. And Matthew 24.35. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. It is a safeguard against sin. I mean, the word says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Hey. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 28. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Hey, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We disciple not only our friends and help them become lifelong followers of Christ, but also our family members. We want to build them up in the scriptures. The Bible says the, the, the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. It's like the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Toda la escritura es inspirada por Dios. Es útil para enseñar, es útil para redarguir y para instruir en justicia. There is power in the word of God. So I want to give you a challenge this week, all right? Memorize scripture. Man of God, woman of God, it's time that you rise up. Take the word of God as a weapon. Start memorizing, hiding God's word in your heart that you wouldn't sin, that you would overcome temptation. And so there's three options I have for you to consider. First, start a journey of memorizing the same 119 verses that we're memorizing. This week, we're going to share on our social media a PDF of all those scriptures. If you just memorize one verse a week in a year and a half, you'll have these, these verses memorized. Second option, baby step, memorize the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. In a couple of weeks, we're going to dive into those during our teaching. The third option is one that I'm currently taking on. So if you want to join me, it's just over 100 verses as well. Memorize the entire Sermon on the Mount of Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. But let's make a commitment to raise the value and make a priority of God's Word. Let's become a church family that can overcome temptation, that we're strong in the Lord because we've hidden God's Word in our hearts. Amen?